Savior. I want to begin by reading from Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and we're going to read uh, verses 9 through the end of that chapter. We're coming up on Easter Sunday, and so I just felt led by God to kind of turn our attention to what Easter really means and some related subjects on that matter. And so we'll be looking at this passage here that very much much has to do with uh, what we celebrate at Easter. And you can see behind me on the screen our subject for this morning, Saved or Religious. And we'll be explaining that in a moment. Verse 9, Romans 3. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Would you bow your heads with me as we just acknowledge the Lord once again in prayer. Dear God, we thank You so much for the opportunity to be gathered in Your presence once again. And Father, as we turn our attention to Your Word, we want to acknowledge before You our dependence on You. God, I need You now. I need your spirit to work in me and to speak through me to explain the truth of what we've just read. So God, I pray that you would take my voice and use it to your honor and glory. I also pray, Father, for everyone in this room. 
that you prepare their hearts not to hear from me, but to hear from you. So, God, we ask that you would open our eyes, help us to understand what it is that you're saying to your church this morning. And dear God, as always, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, again, our subject this morning is saved or religious. And many people might think that it's the same thing, but there is a very big difference. And that difference is vitally important. The dictionary defines religious as someone who is concerned with sacred matters, religion or the church, having a showing belief in and reverence for a deity. And by that definition, probably everybody here is religious. If you weren't religious in some way or form, you wouldn't even come out to church. But there's a difference in being religious and being saved. To be saved is to be delivered from the penalty, power and dominion of sin. And it's not enough just to be religious. You must be saved from your sins. The problem is, is that you can be religious and still be lost. You can be religious and still on your way to hell. But if you are truly saved, then you are no longer lost. So I ask again, are you saved or religious? The text we're looking at has something very important to say on that subject. This book was written by Paul after his third missionary journey, so toward the end of his ministry. And he was writing to Christians who lived in Rome. Paul had not yet visited Rome, and so he didn't know these people very well. And so it lacked some of the personal touches that other letters do, like Philippians. In fact, this letter reads more like a theological essay or a doctrinal essay than a letter. Romans is the most systematic of Paul's epistles. And in Romans, he sets out the Christian doctrine of salvation, encompassing subjects like sin, justification, grace, faith, etc. The first three chapters, including the verses that we've just read this morning, focus on the sinfulness of all mankind, both Jews and Gentiles. And this was an important subject for, for, for Paul to address with the Roman Christians because the church at Rome was comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. This caused some racial and cultural differences between the believers. Some of the Gentiles lacked a proper respect and appreciation for Jewish culture and religious traditions. While on the other hand, the Jewish culture was a very religious one. And some Jewish Christians felt that their religious tradition was the basis for their righteousness before God. And that Gentiles needed to be culturally Jewish to be full Christians. Paul addresses this in his letter, the passage that we're reading today. He sets out to correct three main misperceptions held by the Jewish Christians. And here are the three main points that he makes to them. The first is this. Jews and Gentiles are sinners subject to God's wrath. Look again at verse number nine. He says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. And then in verse 23, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The point he's making to them is that it wasn't just Gentiles that needed to be saved or needed God's redemption. Jews and Gentiles alike were sinners subject to God's wrath. The next point that he makes is that righteousness does not come from Jewish culture or religious traditions. The Jews felt like their Jewishness was what gave them kind of a edge up on Gentiles. That it was their Jewishness that made them right with God. Some felt that the fact that they were physical descendants of Abraham made them righteous. 
kind of a righteousness through racial identity. But Paul says not true. Being a Jew doesn't make you right with God. Others thought it was observing the law, what we would call legalism, that they followed all of these rituals and traditions of the law, that that would make them right with God. And Paul says that isn't the case either. And then others felt it was because they were circumcised, that circumcision itself showed that they were right with God. But if you look with me in Romans chapter 2, verse 28, Paul says this, A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the written code. The larger point that Paul is making to these Jews who felt that their Jewishness gave them kind of a leg up on everybody else. It was their Jewishness that made them right with God is that, listen, you're sinners just like Gentiles and being a Jew doesn't make you right with God. All of these things, whether it's observing the law or being circumcised or being a physical descendant of Abraham, isn't enough. He goes on to say, and this is the third point, that righteousness comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21 again. He says, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Paul is showing that this righteousness that he's talking about is something that had been prophesied by prophets many years ago. This was long expected. And it didn't come by birth or ethnicity or observing the law or even through circumcision, but by putting their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is something that everybody needed, both Jews and Gentiles alike, because all had sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what are the implications of this text for us today? I think it's very important and very helpful to look, first of all, at what it meant for them. That Paul was addressing these Jewish Christians who felt like their Jewishness was what was the thing that was most important in their righteous standing before God. But there's an implication for us today as well. Well, here's the first implication for us today. Every human being needs a Savior. Romans 3.23 again, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means me, you, everybody on earth. None of us are right in and of ourselves. All of us have sinned and all of us have fallen very short of the standard that God had for us as mankind. In the beginning, when God created man, he created us to live in relationship with him. A close relationship with him. We see some of that in the, uh, the story of the creation when God would meet with Adam in the cool of the day. That's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you and I and with every human being. But something went terribly wrong. Mankind rebelled against God. Some people rebel against God openly by denying his existence, saying they don't believe in God and they want to live their own life. But then others are more passively rebellious. And that is, these are good people. They're upstanding citizens. They live a good moral life. They don't harm anybody. They try to do the right thing, but yet they have not surrendered their life to God's will. Both people are lost. You know, the person that we look at on the street and say, there's somebody who has a terrible life. They're a murderer or a rapist or something like that. It's easy to see that those people are sinners. But you know, the good law-abiding citizen who helps the little old lady across the street and does good deeds, those people are sinners apart from Jesus Christ as well. Everybody needs a Savior. The scripture goes on to say that ignorance is no excuse as well. And this covers the agnostics, those who would think that, well, it's impossible to know whether or not if there's a God. So I'll just leave it to chance or I won't concern myself with that. 
In Romans chapter 1 verse 18, Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The point Paul is making is that we know there's a God just by opening our eyes and looking around us. The very fact that this world exists points to the fact of God's existence. The very fact that we exist and how intricate our bodies are and how well we were designed and made points to the fact that God exists. And it's all of these things around us that should point us to him so that even people who have never been to a church, even people who may not have heard the Bible are still without any excuse for acknowledging the existence of God. Everybody needs a savior. This isn't just for the especially bad people. This is for each and every one of us. The other implication for us today is that our own efforts will not save us. Just as Paul hammered home the point to Jews that being a Jew didn't make them right with God. Well, being born in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Being born in a Christian nation doesn't make you a Christian. Even being religious doesn't make you a Christian and make you right with God. Religion isn't enough. Just going to a church on a Sunday morning or reading the Bible, doing religious deeds, that's not enough. That's salvation through our own efforts, through our own works. And Paul says that that isn't what salvation really is all about. Even living a good moral life, like following the Ten Commandments and trying to do good, that will not save us. Doing good deeds, giving to charity, volunteering our time, none of these things can bring about salvation, bring about righteousness or right standing before God. The scripture describes all of our efforts to save ourselves or earn our salvation or prove our worth to God. And Isaiah 64 and 6 this way says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Wow, that's pretty <laughs> amazing. He's saying that all the good things we do, all the efforts we put into it, no matter how hard we try, others may look on us and say, what a great person. What an upstanding citizen. What a wonderful, you know, wonderful person. But if we are doing that in our own strength, apart from a faith in Jesus Christ, God looks at all of that righteousness, going to church, reading our Bible, giving to the poor, helping people, as a bunch of dirty rags in the corner. That's how far it is from God's standard of righteousness. So any attempt to save ourselves is futile. It will not work. And that brings us to the third implication for us today. We are saved only through faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ is lost. No matter how good a life they live. Anyone who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ is lost and will be eternally separated from God if they die in that state, no matter how religious they are. They may be the most religious, fervently religious person you know, but if they've never put their faith in Jesus Christ, then they will be lost. Good deeds, good efforts, religious acts, none of that will suffice. Look at verse 21 and 22 with me again. It says, But now a righteousness from God... He had been making a point that they were trying to find righteousness in other means. And we've covered that through their ethnicity, through the fact that they observed the law, through circumcision and all of these things. And he says, that's not, the, that's not going to work. 
a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, how do you obtain it? How do you get this? It comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It requires us to acknowledge our sins and to put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to have our sins forgiven and our relationship with God restored. Paul talks about this quite a lot in his epistles. Another place he really explains it is found in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There are a lot of terms here, uh, theological terms, that maybe everyone's not familiar with. So let's just go through them one by one. First, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Grace is defined as unmerited favor. God has done for us something that we don't deserve. He has given us something that we don't deserve. And that's the whole point. To be made right with God. And we all need to have that done because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For us to be declared righteous in His sight, that is in right standing with Him, we needed a Savior. God extended that out of His graciousness. Not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but out of His grace. For it's by grace you have been saved. And what does he mean there by saved? Well, to be saved means to be delivered from both the penalty and the power and dominion of sin. Because of our sin, our relationship with God was severed. And we were going to have to stand in the judgment before him and be declared unrighteous in his sight. And to be eternally separated from him in a place called hell. That was the penalty for our sin. But because of God's grace, through our faith in Him, we've been saved from that destiny. The penalty of sin has been paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to worry about paying for our own sins. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? You know, if we had to pay for our own sins, we would be in trouble. But because of God's grace, Jesus Christ went to the cross, died on that cross, paying the price for us. He died in our place. And we've been saved, spared, delivered from the penalty of sin. Now that in itself is pretty amazing. You know, if Christ just did that for us, maybe we'd have a lot to give him praise for. But he does more than that. He not only delivers us from the penalty of sin, our past sinful actions, he delivers us from the power and the dominion of sin. Anybody here can relate to the fact that sin is addictive? You know, that you can find yourself doing the same thing over and over again and trying to overcome it. Well, in our own strength, it's impossible to be delivered. But through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, He has delivered us from the power of sin. So that sin no longer has the dominion over us. We've been set free. Paul describes in other places in Romans as sin being like a chain. And Satan being the one that holds us in bondage. And Jesus Christ comes and he unlocks those chains and he sets us free. So no longer do we have to live under his power, under his dominion, under his control. Now we are free to be the persons that God created us to be. And that was the whole problem. That God created us to be one type of way. To live a relationship with him. 
He, he created us in His image, which meant that we were to reflect God's character. You know, we can kind of relate that to naturally, because those of you who are parents, you know how uh, proud you are when someone looks at your child and says, wow, they remind me of you. As long as they're doing something good. <laughs> you don't want them to say that if they're doing something bad. But if they've got a good nature, a good character, and say, wow, you know, I, that child reminds me so much of you. You feel a really sense of pride in that. Well, it's the same with God. He created us as His children. He wants us to live in this world so that the way we are reflects His nature and His character. So people look at us and say, wow, you're just like your father. That's what God wanted for us. But because of sin, that was really all messed up. But Jesus Christ came to save us from the power and dominion of sin and set us back on the course to be the persons that God created us to be. That's what it means to be saved. And that is vastly different than being religious. Being religious just means that you have an affinity for religious things. You go to church. You have a respect or a belief in the deity. But if you've not been delivered, then you've not been saved. If the power of God isn't residing in you, giving you the ability to say no to temptation and to live the life that God wants us to live. And that's a process. That doesn't happen overnight. We don't go from being sinners, then being saved, and living a perfectly sinless life from then on. But through the process of sanctification, we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And reflect Him in our lives. That's what spiritual growth is all about. Spiritual growth isn't just about we know more Bible or know more songs or know more about how to live in church. But it's about becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So not only do we live like Him, but we think like Him. We have the same attitude as Him. We surrender completely to God's will the way that, God, that Christ did. It is by grace, this unmerited favor. That you have been saved, delivered, set free, rescued from the power and dominion of sin. And then he says, through faith. This faith is to put our belief and trust in Jesus Christ. If someone isn't saved, they need to believe that God exists. They need to believe that Jesus Christ is his son. And that God sent his son to this world to die on the cross for their sins. And that when Jesus died, he paid the price for their sins. And that by believing in that, they will have salvation. That's what it takes. So in that sense, God's grace makes salvation available. That's the only way it could be available. He had to offer it to us. But it's faith that makes it accessible. God's grace makes it available. Faith makes it accessible. And then it becomes real in our life. And he goes on to say, and this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. And I've kind of hammered this point home because Paul does as well. We cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can save us. And we have to put our faith in him. He says, not by works. So no kind of religious works are going to do it. Giving money to the church or volunteering your time, that's not going to do it. So there's no reason for anyone to boast, he says. Except, he says in another passage, in the cross of Jesus Christ. If we're going to boast in anything, it's in what Jesus has done. And then verse 10. Often I find when people quote this, they leave out verse 10. But verse 10 is essential to understanding the plan of salvation. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared and advanced for us to do. The goal of salvation isn't just to get us out of hell. 
That's not all. It's to transform us into the persons that God created us to be so that we will live a new life. So if anyone says that they've accepted Christ or they're a Christian, but their lives haven't been changed, then what's the point? Real faith is accompanied by good works or a changed life. Well, in Paul's time, there were many Jews who thought they were righteous with God because they were religious. The Jewish people were very religious people and they thought that that was enough. But just as we've seen, Paul made it clear in that day that wasn't enough and it still isn't enough today. You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus Christ. And so, as we conclude, the thing for us to ask ourselves, have you confessed and repented of your sins? Have you acknowledged to God what He already knows? He just needs for you to acknowledge it to Him. That you're a sinner. That you're not right with Him. That you're out of relationship with Him. Have you repented of your sins? That is, have you confessed to God or acknowledged to God that you are sorry for the way that you lived and you want to turn your life around? Repentance and confession are related, but they're not the same. To confess something is just to acknowledge, I'm a sinner. But many people do that without ever repenting. Repenting means to have a change of heart. Which means you now fundamentally see God different, see yourself in relation to Him different, and you want to live your life the way that He wants you to live it. Have you done that? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Have you put faith in your faith in Jesus Christ? And do you accept Him as Lord of your life? It's not something that's just a one-off thing in a church like this. You say, yes, I believe in Jesus, now that's me. Tick the box and I just go on with the rest of my life. No. It is to live in relationship with Him. To give Him control of your life day by day. And allow Him to live out His life through you. The question for us. Are we saved? Have we been delivered from the penalty and power and dominion of sin? Are we living in relationship with God? Or are we religious? Do we just have an affinity for the things of God? Do we believe in a deity and have respect for Him? None of us want to leave this life and stand before God in the judgment religious alone. We all are religious to some extent, but it's got to be more than just that. It has to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was true for the Jews. As Paul pointed out, it's true for us. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? If I could, just for a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just want to give you just a few seconds to just reflect on what God is saying to you right now. Amen. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for the challenge of it, but also the encouragement. It's so good to know, dear God, that although we have all sinned and fall short of your standard, we don't have to try to get back to that standard in our own strength. That you sent your son to be the righteousness for us, that he died for our sins. And if we just put our faith in him, we'll be declared righteous in your, in your sight. We'll be in right standing with you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your love to us. Father, help all of us to be committed to that. So again, God, just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen. God bless you.